0: It is very beneficial to join the retreat uh, because in busy modern life uh, the time to really calm down the mind and to develop in particular samadhi and uh, more profound wisdom and insight, deeper understanding uh, is not so easy and the conditions in the retreat now allow us to further deepen our practice. However, even if you don't go on one day retreat, but maybe ten day retreats, and if maybe you go on three ten day retreats a year, that's pretty good no? in lay life. And you have family, you have children, job, and you still go to three ten day retreats a year, that would be pretty impressive there would be 30 days. And how many days are there in the year? 365, so this is not even 10%. And if even someone manages to do that, three 10-day retreats a year, it's not even 10% of the whole time in the year. So it will not be sufficient to only practice when we're on retreat. What is so important, what Lung Por Cha always emphasized is that we uh, have to practice uh, consistently and it's only a level of refinement that is changing. Now for sure, in a retreat situation, one day retreat, even more so, whole weekend retreat, still more, 10 day retreat and longer, and we can reach more refined levels in our practice normally. But it doesn't mean that we don't have to practice at other times. And it's a big mistake, and we get kind of on the wrong track if we start dividing our life and our meditation. Now I'm on retreat, and here's my normal life that will not work but that has to become the one thing. Your life and your practice has to be one integrated whole thing. Not sure if you have heard of Lung Wan, of what Doi Me Pang in the north of Thailand. Uh, when he passed away in the 1980s, he was probably the most famous Kuba Ajan, uh, in Thailand. And uh, once a group of lay people visited him, he didn't give that many teachings, uh, but he was uh, sometimes often happy to just answer questions, talk to people. And they asked him, uh, Lung Poa how many hours of meditation should be do every day? And he didn't really give an answer, but he looked a little bit surprised So they thought he hadn't understood their question And they asked, they asked him again uh, Lung Po, we no, mean how many hours meditation a day? And he looked outright puzzled And then the third time no, they tried, Lung Por, what do you think? What is a good amount of hours for us in lay life no, to, to practice? And you just say all the time, because he couldn't quite conceive of the idea that you divide your time between practice time and non-practice time. For sure, everyone will acknowledge when you go to work, maybe tomorrow morning, and you arrive and you open your computer and you go through your emails or you have to join the first meeting, that is probably not the time to attain fourth jhana. But still a time to practice. So what we need is some good instruction how we can practice all the time, including in lay life. Because the Buddha didn't teach only for monks and nuns. He did just as well teach for Upasakas and Upasakas. And if you think that only modern life is busy, it's very common already in the suttas that they talk with the Buddha and then they say, oh Bhante, we have to go now, we are very busy. (laughs) It's just the same in many ways. So we need some instructions that are holistic, integrated, that refer to our whole life, not just to a retreat period, not just when we sit down on our meditation cushion in a formal posture, but instructions that refer to everything that involves your life, namely your job, namely your children, namely your uh, other activities, shopping, looking after your family, your social activities, everything you do because this is where we have to practice, as Lumpur Wen pointed out no, all the time. So do we have any such instructions? And one such instruction which I would suggest, the Buddha has given so many teachings, and sometimes you may feel a little bit overwhelmed no, if you look at just the Majjhima Nikaya, there's already you know, a lot. And then there's the Sangyotra and the Anguttara and the Kodaka and the long discourses and the hundreds and hundreds of suttas. And uh, what instruction. One category which even in all Buddhist traditions uh, is very well known, which the Buddha established uh, right at his very first teaching, is the Four Noble Truths. We have all heard of that, isn't it? And what is the fourth noble truth? eva Ariyo Atangiku maggo. Namely, this noble, eightfold path: White view, white intention, white communication, white action, white livelihood, white effort, white mindfulness and white samadhi. This is a way how we can you know, realize these Four Noble Truths. This is a practical instruction, how you practice to understand the Four Noble Truths. You now this is what the Buddha called Bhavana. And that is you know, probably the best, uh, how to say, the, the closest to what we often refer to in meditation, in Pali Bhavana. It means the you know, development and the eightfold path is to be developed, bhaveta panti me bikkhavi, as the Buddha said in that first discourse. This noble eightfold path has to be developed. That is the duty which is attached to that noble truth. This is a most practical one. This is something that which gives you something to do. So my recommendation is uh, let us focus on on this one, even in your life. If you ever have any doubts, uh, come back to these very fundamental teachings, the very first discourse, the very Four Noble Tools, which even in the other Buddhist traditions uh, are well known and fully recognized as the teaching of the Buddha in Mahayana, even in Vajrayana, everyone knows that. Even many non-Buddhists know it. So, if you really want to practice, we should know it very well. Because if we develop that Noble Eightfold Path, that this is the Bhavana, the Buddha intended. And when we go through it now, you will notice that it refers to everything in your life, not just when you sit or when you are on a retreat. And so, what is this Noble Eightfold Path? No, wide view goes ahead, sammaditti, number one. You could also translate it as wide understanding or wide conviction. Uh, ditti can you know, have kind of different nuances in the English translation. Uh, all these three terms you know, make sense. Wide view, wide understanding, uh, no, wide conviction. You know, for example, if you don't know the Noble Eightfold Path, you cannot practice it. No? At least the knowledge has to be there what is the Noble Eightfold Path. But it's more than that. The way the Buddha explained wide view, it is the understanding, the conviction that there is a point in our action, that there is some result of our intentional actions, that there is what is called karma, that there is a rebirth that there are different planes of existence, Uh, um, devas, humans, animals, ghosts, hell beings, Uh, and then the higher devas up to the Brahmaloka. Now there is that understanding, that conviction that these realms exist and that when we die, it's not just nothing, it's not just over. What we call death is simply you know, the separation of consciousness and of the mind from the physical body, from these four elements that constitute the physical body. And then it goes you know, according to craving and our karma, and there's a reborn grasping on a new body unless all grasping and craving has been abandoned. So it continues and where it continues and depends on our karma It depends whether we still have craving. There is a point in respecting certain persons like our parents, because there is a debt of gratitude. This is all included in wide understanding, wide view. There is a point in respecting teachers, even more so, spiritual teachers. Because there is also the wide understanding of this Noble Eightfold Path. At the beginning, simply an intellectual, and a conceptual understanding, which later has to be deepened. Uh, the Buddha and distinguished between a worldly wide understanding, which we can do with our intellect, which we can do with our faith and confidence in the Buddha because we may not be able yet not to see other beings. We may not be able yet to remember our past lives. We cannot see how other people are reborn, so we take it on faith, on conviction, on confidence that the Buddha is correct and all the other great Kuba Ajans and Ravahans. But of course, as we progress in our practice, and hopefully later realize and experience the Dhamma, fully comprehend the Four Noble Truths, and then one will develop what is called super-mundane wide understanding. That is the wisdom faculty, the insight, the realization in the heart of the noble ones, in the heart of the liberated beings. And so this is how it all starts. Because even just conviction in the results of karma is so powerful. Even a really egoistic person will be a very good person if just they have conviction that karma works. Because if karma is true, if karma is real, and you're really concerned about your own welfare, even if you don't bother about other people, even someone who is really egoistic, as long as they're really convinced that karma works, then they will do good things. Because it means that it will come back to them as being happy and long-lived and healthy and having a good rebirth. So it's a very, very powerful effect if someone can be established in wide conviction, white understanding. It's extremely difficult to turn a person around from being egoistic, and to some extent, uh, we all are a little bit egoistic, isn't it? And to completely abandon that and have total compassion for all beings is very difficult. On the other hand, once you can convince someone that karma is real, that rebirth is real, just that much will be enough that they will make an effort to not harm others and to be good to other beings, even just for their own sake, for their own benefit, because it will all come back to them. And just knowing that much, understanding that much, never completely transform them. So we have to develop that conviction. How do we do that? By listening to people and associating with people who have that correct understanding. And this is why it's so important that you have this community, that you have these Dhamma teachings, that you make them available, that you provide opportunities that people can find what is called a Mita, a good friend, a beautiful friend, a Dhamma friend, someone who has got wide convictions. Because if you're surrounded by people who all A faith in the realization of the Buddha, have faith that one can get out of this realm of old age, sickness, death, and new birth, and experience total freedom. If you're surrounded by people who share that understanding that karma is real, that rebirth is real, that there's a point in respecting parents and teachers, and so on, it's quite natural that our own conviction will be strengthened. So Anamudana to everyone who's working to provide that Kalyana Mittata, to provide these teachings here. And it's so important to support people in developing right view, whether it's reading Dhamma books, whether it's reading the Sutta, studying the Pali, reading the translations, mm-hmm. whether it's listening on podcast, uh, on YouTube to the teachers. Each time we do that, we strengthen what is called wide view. We develop at least our intellectual understanding now that can gradually deepen until it becomes bhavana, maya, panya, understanding based on meditation. One thing which we also know if we establish ourselves in wide understanding is the next factor, samā-sankāpa. The Pali term, sankappa actually covers a little bit both, what we in English call intention or what we call thought, it has a little bit aspects of both. This is why you sometimes even find these translations. Usually it's translated as white intention. But you could also call it almost white thinking, white thought. They're quite close, and the Pali term and it has nuances of both. Uh, if I should opt for one intention uh, one translation, I would go for a white intention. And there are the three bad intentions which are unbeneficial, which enmesh us further in samsara, which cause us to make bad karma, which cause trouble for us and others, which is what? Karma sankappa, yapade sankappa, vihingse The intentions of sensuality, intentions of ill-will anger, and intentions of cruelty, you know, enjoying to harm others. Number two and three, most people immediately recognize, you no know, this is not good. Being angry, evil, and you know, delighting and hurting and harming others, being cruel. Most people recognize that. The first one is more tricky because that can look quite nice and not so bad. Uh, just enjoying nice food, uh, enjoying life as they say. And of course, it's not an outright evil like the other two, but the Buddha still put them under the wrong intentions because even the most refined pleasures, and even if we do it within the five precepts, without really harming anyone, they mean that we increase our attachment to this world, and it's more difficult to get out. So what we have to develop instead are the three white intentions. Nakama sankhapa, abhyapadis sankhapa, avihingsa sankhapa. Uh, Intention, thoughts of letting go. Intentions of non-harming, non-ill-will, non cruelty Like for example, loving kindness, like compassion, like gratitude, like equanimity, like respect to those who deserve respect. Now these are all wholesome intentions, but in particular the first one, letting go. Sometimes also translated in thoughts of renunciation sounds a bit abstract, but we all know what no letting go means. <laughs> that whenever we can develop that. Now sometimes people complain, I don't really have enough time to practice because my life is so busy, I know how can I do all this practice? So if your life is so busy, that means you never get angry, is that correct? Because you're too busy to feel irritation, to have intentions of anger, irritation. You're saying your life is so busy, so that never happens because you're too busy to get irritated. Is that so? It's not so, no? Even if you're very busy, you still manage to have intention and thoughts of irritation or ill will, isn't it? Sometimes even more, when we're busy, we are more stressed out, and no? then one gets more easily irritated. Is your life too busy or have intentions, no, of sensuality? Craving for the next nice meal, craving for that car, for that uh, new handbag, for that new iPhone and so on? No, no, even if you're very busy, you manage to have all kinds of wishes and desires which you want to fulfill. So this is why I don't really accept the argument that you're too busy to practice. If you can still develop intentions and thoughts no, of desire, intention and thoughts of evil irritation, and I think any honest person will admit that they do still have that, even if they're very busy. Then there's obviously also time to do the opposite. And this is how we can practice throughout our life. And by having, first of all, some mindfulness. And we're jumping a little bit ahead now to factor number seven, the wide mindfulness. Because we need this mindfulness to become aware what actually is our intention, what actually is our thinking. And then we need the first factor, we already talked about, right understanding. Because once we are mindful, there are thoughts of irritation. We also have to have the understanding that this is unbeneficial, this is unhelpful. And then we can make an effort that is uh, factor number six, to develop the wide intention instead. Now this is how we practice throughout the day. The developing, you can call that in the form of the third satyapattana, the becoming aware of your mind state, becoming aware of your thoughts, your intentions and then having the knowledge, the wide understanding the which ones are the good ones, which ones are the bad ones. And the bad ones we make an effort to abandon, or at least to weaken, or at least not to make them stronger. And the good ones we make an effort to establish, to bring up, and to further cultivate. We can't have too much matter. We can't have too much compassion. We can't let go too much. We make these intentions strong. And do you have intentions, thoughts arising only when you're on retreat or only when you're sitting on a meditation cushion? No, it can happen when you're shopping, it can happen when you're working, when you're emailing, when you're in meetings, when you try, when you look after the kids so whenever intentions, thoughts arise in our mind, that's when we can practice. By recognizing them, first of all, with mindfulness. By understanding, is there a good one or a bad one? Is that something beneficial and wholesome? Or that may be harmful for me and others? And then making the effort of abandoning the baddies and bringing in the goodies. as we intend, as we think, so we end up speaking. And there's also, you can see you know, there's a development, the way the Buddha teaches, you know, is usually in you know, a very systematic going from course to refine, you know, going gradually, step by step. And you know, usually what we think repeatedly you know, becomes a habit, what becomes a habit and hardens into a character trait, what we think repeatedly and it tends to come out in speech, and then it becomes action. So that's why it's so helpful and important to catch it already at the level of thought and tension. Now the next one, Samma vacha now, the, literally that means, that's a, in what, that's a normal translation, the white speech. But in our time and age, what I experience, often a majority of our communication is actually not by speech, but by WhatsApp, Insta, Facebook, YouTube, uh, mobile messages, SMS, email, and I don't know what all else. This is why I like to translate it as wide communication. This factor is not only concerned when you literally speak, but if you put something on your Insta, if you send a tweet, if you send an email, if you send an SMS, even if you update your profile picture on any social media, all of that ne, is communication. And I think people do that quite a lot. Ne? So it's a very important area of practice. Because again, if people say I'm too busy, I don't have the time to practice, Does that mean you have no time to communicate? You never use social media? You never send SMS or email? You never use WhatsApp? You're never on Facebook because you're so busy? Amazing, now you have a lot of time to communicate. There's so much communication happening. And this is where we practice. When you communicate, you try to avoid, reduce the vacha, varcha, unbeneficial, bad, wrong, however you want to call it, unwholesome communication, and you establish the wholesome one. So what are the four bad forms of communication? Uh, number one, of course, the lying. That is the one which is even included in the five precepts. Because that is really the most harmful, the most important one. The lying is really harmful. And the Buddha never endorsed any form of lying. Have you ever heard the term white lie or polite lie? Is there anything like that in the Dhamma? No, no, this is an oxymoron. To misrepresent truth, to deliberately say something false and make another person with the intention to make another person believe that, knowing that it's actually false, is never polite, it's never kind, it's never compassionate, it's never white communication. So the very first one, which is part of our five precepts, is that our communication has to be truthful the genuine has to represent fact. Putting out fake news wouldn't be right communication. We have to be truthful. can sometimes be tricky, ne? If you put your profile photo through the insta-filter on maximum. Is that already getting dishonest? The tricky one. I leave it to you to contemplate that. How much Photoshop is possible within the within the precept of truthfulness? How much manipulation of these things? Interesting questions. When it comes to text, now it's a little bit easier to decide. But uh photos can uh, be quite misleading as well. It's getting more relevant with these deep fake videos now. That would obviously be a real form of lying if one publishes intentionally a deep fake video intending to deceive other people that this is real. So it's getting more and more important with all the difficulties to discern which news are actually the real news and the true ones. Because what they call the fake news may be the real ones and vice versa. And we have the task of uh, figuring that out. And of course, a task ne, to make sure that at least ne, what we communicate is truthful. And if we don't know, if we're unsure, adiyo tunhibavo noble silence. That can be a safe fallback. Now remember, it's not always necessary to send a tweet. It's not always necessary to put that out at all. If it's just a rumor, if it's something which is potentially false, Uh, a wise person then will not put that out until they uh, have reasonable certainty, uh, beyond uh, reasonable doubt uh, that this is actually truthful. So a very important area of our Dhamma practice nowadays, the truthful communication. But there are more factors. There's also that our communication should be a kind, polite, the expression how we say it, uh, f- friendly, that it sounds um, friendly and not not harsh, not offensive. Again, you can immediately see there's plenty of space for practicing. Uh, often on the internet, people have. A, some fake name, so they're kind of anonymous actually usually not anonymous really, but kind of and it's quite amazing that once people feel that they are not known, that they make an anonymous post how harsh and gross the speech can become people would never act like that face to face But when they put a comment under a YouTube video or somewhere else, they can get really in extreme. So we have to be careful even if we feel, uh, oh no one knows, it's me writing that. Of course we know ourselves. This whole argument, uh, I do that because no one knows, often the devas also know. Even the ghosts, even the ghosts will know, but you may not mind, mind so much. And the devas know, and some some ajamis psychic powers might know. But there's certainly at least one person who knows. That's you yourself and your conscience. And if our conscience know we did something unwholesome. it's amazing the how conscience functions. Maybe we, we do know that. It does register, and it makes us feel down, it makes us feel uh, the regret and remorse. It weighs on us. So much better not to do it, even if no other human seems to be aware. It's much better if we don't do it because we would know. But if there's nothing harmful we do at all, then our conscience knows. that we are good, that we are not harming or hurting anyone. Uh, Then another very important one is divisive speech, divisive. Speech that is putting people up against each other. I can see that a lot in a lot of politics nowadays. Actually, I don't know so much about Malaysian politics, but in the U.S. you can observe that very powerfully. That a lot of politics is in the dividing people and putting them up against each other. will against city, men against women, rich uh, against poor, um, different races against each other, different religions against each other, different classes. Uh, the speech, the communication the Buddha encouraged is communication that establishes harmony. That brings people together, that uh, develops, uh, cultivates the concord, so that those who are at loggerheads, become less opposed. That those who are neutral, they become more friendly. That those who are friends already, deepen their friendship. The communication that supports that. And again, just look at any of the social medias, the videos, YouTube, and so on, how much is actually doing that and how much is the opposite, creating more rifts, divisions, anger and hatred between different groups, how much of the communication is doing the opposite and establishes friendship and harmony between individuals, between groups, between communities. So we have to make sure that our communication has that quality in bringing people together in harmony, reducing conflict, reducing opposition. And then finally, we should avoid what the Buddha in Pali called Sampapalapa. I'm not sure if you are all Pali scholars, but even if not, can you guess what is the meaning of the Pali term referring to speech communication? Sampapalapa. Blah, blah, (laughs) blah. Meaningless speech, pointless speech. It's not really divisive, it's not really angry, It's not really evil, it's not really lying, but it's just blah, 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 blah. Here's a photo of the food I'm eating this evening. Here's a photo of the shoes I just bought. Here's a photo of me uh, in front of a photo of him. And then here's a photo of all of us. And is that really helpful for the people who receive that? Is that really meaningful? Here's my comment on this comment of that person who commented on that video, which was a critique of that person saying this. Does it really help anyone to develop deeper understanding, to realize the Dhamma, or even at least to live a more skillful worldly life, to achieve uh, prosperity in their family, to have a good job, does it lead into to people to have more intelligence? What do you think, how much percentage on social media, YouTube and so on, how much percentage of that is some papalopa? I leave it to you to guess a percentage. I have a feeling it's probably quite high percentage, isn't it? So we can extend this Pali term of ario Tunibavo noble silence, also to uh, social media silence. Do we really have to have five different channels to put it all out, or I don't know, maybe even more than five, email, Uh, WhatsApp, Insta, YouTube, and so on, uh, maybe more than five even. And do we have to check that uh, every five minutes? Can we maybe check it only every 10 minutes? And then maybe, uh, how long can you keep noble silence in regards uh, to your social media and SMS and so on? When, When does the withdrawal symptoms kick in? That's a good test. After an hour, after a day, can you put your phone and all devices completely away for a week? Could you even survive that? That's a fascinating extension. Uh, The uh, Sangha in the Buddha's time uh, was well known for their incredible discipline that they would sit uh, in pin-drop silence when the Buddha would speak uh, for hours. The Buddha was so well known, even among practitioners of other religions, that he loved silence. But nowadays, teenagers can be completely silent for hours and hours, glued to the screen, of course. <laughs> They're not speaking. But uh, it's actually not only teenagers. No? Facebook is the oldies now. So everyone, uh, glued to the screen, uh, they can be silent. But uh, in terms of social media, silence is a very noble thing. Noble silence. We don't always have to put it out. An easy way of doing white speech often is simply uh, not to communicate. So I uh, today like to especially recommend that that area for your practice in lay life. Because communication is so important and so frequent nowadays. And so many people spend a tremendous amount of time with that forms of communication. And each time you do that, you can develop bhavana by checking before you send out that photo, before you put up that post, before you make that comment, is it maybe just useless, pointless, some papalapa? Is it maybe divisive or does it establish harmony? Does it have meaning? Does it help people to understand the Dhamma or at least live a skillful worldly life, beneficial and helpful to other beings? Um, is it expressed in a friendly, polite manner? Usually in a friendly, polite communication it's more effective anyhow. Have you ever achieved much by sending a really angry email? You shoot out, in no, this email, you really tell them what you think. And do they come back and say, oh yeah, you're so right, I'm really a really bad person, and I totally agree with you? Does that usually work? How do you respond to really angry emails? It's usually more more successful anyhow, to communicate in a polite, friendly, and most importantly in a truthful. And that is really, really difficult. At least you have to make sure that what we put out is always truthful. And to figure out what exactly is all truth or half-truth or fake or half-fake and so on on the internet. Now this is really, really hard. But at least we should make sure what we put out should be really truthful. So that gives you so much to practice through your life already. But of course we continue with mind action. That is mostly the precepts, the five precepts, the other ones, not to kill any living beings, even an ant, even a mozzie, not to intentionally kill any beings, not to steal, not to commit adultery or other forms of sensual misconduct, and not to take alcohol or other drugs that cause uh, intoxication, heatlessness, that destroy the sense of shame and conscience, uh, that uh, weaken and eliminate uh, mindfulness and awareness. Now, that one is, uh, I think, uh, quite well known to most people, uh, very important. Now, often the... Physical action can have a big impact, but we shouldn't underestimate the impact of speech, of communication. You never know whether that thing you put out goes viral, as they say, and isn't seen by maybe a million people. And if we put something out that really induces anger, division, if we put something out that is false in communication, and a million people see that, it can also be a huge, huge karmic impact. Never underestimate that. When it comes to physical action, most people understand, I'm making karma here. But we have to be aware that we can make big karma by communication, also wholesome communication. If you share something, it's not like I say it's completely wrong to use these things, they exist. And if you want to put something out, let them know about the latest Bob's Retreat. Let them know about opportunities to have out and keep this place running, to serve on the exec committee, to do other jobs, to participate, if you are, communicate in such a way now that now, many of your friends now, do some wholesome activity because you encourage them, you make heaps and heaps of good karma. It goes in both directions. So on a skillful communication, now, can give you now, heaps of good karma. Next one, Samma Ajivu, White Livelihood. The more common way nowadays you know, say your job. And you can see you now how the Buddha was concerned about you in lay life. The you know, one of eight factors and you know, he made you know, the, the job, the profession, you know, your vocation. And why is that so important? You now imagine in your life how much time and energy is left you now after your job often the majority of your time and energy you know, goes into your job, your profession. And if that profession is something you know, really unwholesome, where other beings are harmed, where you can't even keep the precepts, how is your practice ever going to, to go right? You know, when for the majority of your time and energy you, know, you are doing something unbeneficial. So it's really, really crucial that one recognizes that as an important, even essential part of your practice in lay life. And if you notice that your job forces you to break precepts or that your job in some way is, is harming people rather than doing something beneficial, then it's important to start planning and gradually changing one's career. It may not always be possible to immediately change it, but uh, usually if we plan long term, and ideally if you start when you end university, now that is the best time Or already when you choose your university subject, uh, to plan that you have a job where you do something beneficial and good, where you can keep the precepts, where you can actually do your job with an intention of loving-kindness and no, a right intention to all beings. It doesn't have to be super-heroic, no, even something very humble like no, a cleaner garbage collection. No, the benefit is obvious. It's something good and beneficial, although it doesn't have a great reputation. Some other jobs no, which are quite high status no, may actually harm many people despite their high status and high income. So we have to choose the one which doesn't do that. No, wide effort, we already talked about that now. Mindfulness, no, now we are moving more in what is called samadhi, in the wider sense. Now we are moving away no? from external actions, now we are moving into internal practice changing your thinking, changing your perception, changing your intention to make them wholesome. Now that's wide effort, abandoning bad thoughts and intentions like anger, establishing good thoughts and intentions like loving-kindness, like compassion, respect, gratitude this is where we can really put in big effort because these things happen all the time in our mind. we discussed that already. So we have to sharpen our mindfulness, which is the next one, number seven. Because these internal ones, it's already difficult with uh, communication. It's so easy for an email, a tweet, to slip out before you really know what you're doing. I know that uh, in email you can have programs that delays the sending. So after you click send the email and you can put in another 30 seconds before it really goes out. Because sometimes you may notice after sending it, oh dear, I shouldn't. (laughs) If you have that delay thing, you can still call it back, it's not yet out. But we have to develop the same thing for our thoughts. We have to carefully observe that we can control and call back, so to speak, the unwholesome thoughts, unwholesome intentions. But to do that, we first have to recognize it. So we have to develop mindfulness, at least in that sense, that we become aware of our thoughts, intentions. And we have to combine that with the wide right understanding, which ones are the good ones, which ones are the bad ones. And then the wide effort, reducing the anger, increasing the loving kindness, reducing the desire, increasing the letting go. And the last one, samma samadhi, najana, And I admit this is a little bit difficult to do in daily life, Uh, I I do admit that. It's unlikely when you're washing, shopping after finishing work that you'll attain fourth jhana. I acknowledge that. So this is maybe a path factor which is more suitable to develop on retreat or when you're formally sitting meditation, I do acknowledge that one. But that still leaves seven of eight path factors which you can actually do throughout your life, and how you can make your Dhamma practice and your life, your meditation and your life in the one thing, one integrated whole of bhavana, of development.